Nothing in his mind The rent there's much too high Doesn't make him want to Occupy this life Hiding all the things He prays the world won't find Hello, hello, and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and for this episode, I called up a good friend of mine, John Beatty, to talk about a record that means quite a bit to both of us, which is Antenna by the band Cave-In. And you may know Cave-In is this super heavy band, but back in the early 2000s, Antenna came out and sort of changed the way we looked at Cave-In. I always really liked this record. It was really special to me, and it was special to John as well. I'd actually asked him if he wanted to talk about a different record, and he actually suggested this one, and I think it was a really strong suggestion. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the record. We're going to talk about how we feel about it. We're going to talk about how the lyrics make us feel, what they remind us of. We kind of go all over the place, and we do talk about the record in there, but we talk a lot about me and John, and... That's kind of my favorite thing to do on this podcast is sort of talk about how it relates to where we've been and what we've experienced and what we've done. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. Let's get into my conversation with John Beatty of the Brutally Speaking podcast all about Caven's Antenna. Beautiful song. The thing that I've been doing lately is I like to go back before I talk about a record. I go back to the discography discussion episode that I did on it. And I'm like, I wonder what Disgust Metal Dan thought of, you know, X record. And um, usually it's, it sucks. What were they thinking? Why would they do something like that? Right. Uh, but I was actually surprised when I went back and listened to the Cave-In episode that uh, no, Disgust Metal Dan absolutely liked Antenna by Cave-In. So that was, that was pretty, pretty consistent. I was actually pretty surprised by that. Well, I mean, at this point, being Disgust Metal Dan loving Hope's Fall, I don't see how, like, I would I would have assumed that to be, just be a natural fact that you'd like this record by Caden. Yeah, it's one of those weird situations, though, because there were a lot of records that, like, I'd go back and listen to what I said on the podcast about them. And kind of like what I talked about on episode one, season one, was that Sometimes a record would get a bad review or a bad comment because I was in a bad mood that day, you know, or, um, you know, you know, how certain records are like you go through these phases where it's like your absolute favorite, but then like a week goes by and your whole vibe is different, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that record's pretty cool, but it's not one of my favorites. Like I kind of go through that quite a bit. And so I was curious if Caven got that treatment, but. You know, that's the funny thing about having kind of an alternate persona on a podcast, though, is that it's an exaggerated version of you, right? So, like, I love Hope's Fall, but Discuss Metal Dan really loves Hope's Fall, you know? Uh, I love Zayo, so Discuss Metal Dan really loves Zayo, you know? And uh, it was always funny to me, just, like, the level of comedic extent that it would go to sometimes. So when talking about Antenna in a more serious tone what i can tell you and i'm going to i'm going to ask you when you first got and heard antenna also john 
but uh i'm a selfish bastard so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell mine first i bought antenna at a it wasn't at a thrift store it was an actual cd store but it was marked down and i don't remember if i bought it as a new release i'm assuming it wasn't a new release if it was marked down because in 2003 i don't think that they marked new releases down to like 4.99 because i only paid like five bucks for it it was probably in the first slew of 20 or so cds that i bought and at the time it sounded pretty much unlike anything that i had ever heard before and it blows me away more now i think than it did then because a lot of the stuff that i listened to was in that sort of alt rock pocket anyway this is like before i was into hardcore and so like i got into antenna like unironically just thinking that Caven was some new band that just sounded like this so john what was the first time you heard antenna or when did you end up getting the album so I ended up listening to this record my senior year of high school back in 2002. Um, and this record came out, I believe, a few months before we graduated, like I want to say like February or March or April or something like that. So like right before the end of the end of the school year. And there are some records that musically just will always remind me of my senior year. Um, Jay-Z's The Blueprint record famously will always remind me of that and 9-11 because literally it came out on 9-11 and that's nine days before my birthday and that was what my parents were going to get me for my birthday that year that's all i wanted was was that record and i had to wait to get it because the world basically shut down for a few days until we could figure out you know if we were safe uh if there were any more attacks that were going to happen or anything and so i just kind of remember certain albums kind of having that lasting impact uh, where you can kind of, you know, go back in time and remember where you were when you first heard this, first heard this music and these albums. And Antenna was one that someone, I don't remember who, um, but someone, and this is probably the only time you're ever going to hear these two bands referenced together as a, you might be into this because you like this. <laughs> but someone comes up to me and they're like, do you like Incubus? And I was like, yeah. Uh, Morning View had just kind of come out around then and they go, oh, well, you might check. You might like this band and threw me this record. And they were like, and I remember listening to some of it. And this is back in the day and age of like burnt CDs. So you didn't know like what you were actually listening to. There was you didn't like till someone told you. I remember as I'm listening to this record and hearing these sounds, it sounded really good. It, it just kind of as I've learned to really identify and hone in on as I now have kind of become a, a late in life stoner um where i'm just kind of about good vibes and like how something makes me feel good and i want more of it i mean that's kind of human nature to kind of seek out things that make you feel good and i remember listening to this music and the person when i was like who is this they mentioned that it was this band cave-in and i remember a few years prior um hearing something off of like a compilation and for those that maybe aren't dan and i's age you know in our late 30s um you know, back in the, the early stages of the Internet, you know, you still had magazines as a viable source to find new music. They would write about up and coming bands. Um, and a lot of times those magazines also had compilations and so forth in them or just in the day and age of compilations as a whole, being at your local record stores or, you know, people passing them around. If you are part of a weird street team, uh, I remember a story. That's how I got the first Linkin Park demo or whatever before Hybrid Theory came out. Got it literally on a cassette with two two songs on each side. But, you know, digressing, it's a thing where I had remembered hearing Cave-In on like a 
like metal hammer, maybe not metal hammer, but it was like some something like that, a Kerrang, a revolver or something. And I think it was off of a, something off of Until Your Heart Stops. And it was a thing where I remember being like, oh, they were really heavy and, and I liked it, but I, I didn't love it. And what's interesting, and I know Dan has talked about this before, is getting into something but not fully getting into it like you would later in your life. Hardcore and metalcore were kind of that for me at that age. Like I remember, you know, when uh, MTVX existed and Fuse and or Much Music or whatever, and MTV sometimes still played music videos and seeing all these underground rock and metal bands and finding this this genre that seemed like it was so new. You know, I remember seeing the video for Life to Lifeless by Killswitch off their first record and being like, this sounds really good. I hate the dude's screaming voice, but God damn, that hook and his, his singing voice are so good. And it took me a few more years to finally get it. And it's interesting to think that I had that same same connection with Caven or lack thereof where I didn't connect with the band really. But admittedly with Antenna, as I grew to listen to it on my own, I really didn't connect with it fully. I It just made me feel good. I love the guitar tones and I love the songs and how they made me feel, but I never really sought out the lyrics. I didn't pay attention to them. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this record is because as I've gotten older, very much like the Alexis on Fire Crisis record, I've really started to hone in lyrically on this record. And it's so interesting to see how something that has always just kind of been associated with, with good times and good feelings now is kind of being associated with deeper thinking, deeper thoughts, thoughts that I really identify with almost being 40 now. You know, <clears throat> the line in Seafrost, you know, I had sent you a message earlier and saying, you know, now as I look at these lyrics, I, I identify with them more. And a line like dying for a yes or no, life is full of maybe so anything to break the ice. Like, it's just one of those things that when I hear that lyric now, all I can think about is that we live in this world of complacency and just non-committal, non-people being non-committal to, to a lot of the things in life. That like, yeah, I would like a fucking definitive yes or no. Everyone wants to exist in this maybe because I think they're afraid to make a move and, and be decisive in their own life or to other people for fear of how it may come across. And when I see a line like that, in addition to so many others, it's really interesting to listen to this song that makes me feel really good now with kind of the, the cerebral part of the music which is kind of making me a little bit angry and to see how they juxtapose against each other is, is really interesting as I've gotten older with this record. Yeah. It's interesting to think that a record that came out 20 years ago is going to be predicting what I would interpret as modern human behavior, you know, because, and maybe it was that way back then too. There's that word again, maybe, uh, but I, I'm not sure because I wasn't necessarily like, I lived in my own like little world, you know, at that time. And now I think to all the times, because like I'm sort of notoriously guilty or sketchy for that sometimes where I'll make a definitive plan or something. And all of the sudden, the first thing that the first thing that pops in my head is, Oh my God, how do I get out of it? <laughs> you know? Um, and a lot of it comes even from what we do, you know, on the podcast where like, you know how like sometimes you'll hook a guest that you're almost like intimidated to talk to and then you're like oh no not like i now i've committed to this <laughs> you know what i mean like I, I and now i feel the need to perform i've always definitely had some of the 
some of that performance anxiety and I'll, I'll over criticize myself. But what the problem is, is even though I'm having that internal struggle, my method of trying to get out of things can come across in a way that doesn't necessarily reflect that, like, I'm struggling with something. It comes across more as, oh, he's flaky. That dude never shows up for anything, right? Or that guy's never, you know, we, we all have that friend where we'll make plans and they'll cancel on those plans so many times in a row that it basically just like becomes a meme where like you go through the motions with somebody and they just don't show up. You know what I mean? And, and like, you know that that's what's going to happen. But I think it extends even more to that. And like to, to be as absolutely boring Midwest as I possibly can be, I think it extends to a lot of other things too, like job interviews and stuff like that, where like you have to like be on your A game, you know, not missing a hair, you know, not having a hair out of place or, or anything like that. But like that person, like it's totally socially acceptable for them not to call you back or tell you, you know, anything about what you did, you know, give you any feedback whatsoever uh, that could potentially help you. And I know it's not like what we're talking about the antenna, but like, it is interesting what you said though, about like how, you know, lyrically, you know, you didn't necessarily, maybe you weren't ready for it yeah, at the time, you know, like you, you enjoyed the, the positive vibes that the record gives you because this is a very uplifting record, I think in, in a lot of places, uh, it's not the, the dark and like, I'm going to sit here and wallow in my own shit type of stuff that I usually listen to, but it was refreshing for that reason. And something else that you'd mentioned in our conversation earlier about this record was that you've got cave in who's a band that people are used to hearing hardcore from, right. And they sort of have this musical maturity. They have this musical growth. They have this breakthrough where they're like, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't want to just play hardcore anymore. Maybe I've grown out of that. Maybe, maybe that music is how I felt as a teenager. But now in my mid-20s, I feel this way, and I've realized this about the world. And I want to change, you know, sort of my approach, the way I express myself, the way I come across. And their fans just aren't there for it at all. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's the big twist in Caven's uh, career is that you know, like a lot of other bands that I like, like Hope's Fall, like Hundredth, you know, they decide that, you know what, this this whole like being angry and pissed off all the time thing isn't for, for us anymore. We want to play music that maybe sounds more like the kind of music we listened to when we were growing up, you know, or listening to the kind of music that we were more into. And, you know, especially for bands that got popular as hardcore bands in the late 90s and early 2000s, you see that sort of appreciation for like early 90s mid 90s like alternative rock like the kind of stuff that they heard on the radio and i hear a lot with that one of the bands you know you, you have, your friend said that they remind him of incubus or the you know um and the vibe that i always got off of cave in on this record especially was our lady peace yeah um and it could just be because they had you know sort of there's this like playful swagger to the way the vocals are delivered in both bands where they don't sound the same but they feel like they're coming from the same place right and i i mean i'm gonna prefer cave in anyway because as much as i love our lady peace sometimes the voice uh can can get to me but i think that i think their delivery is very similar i think the thing i mean it's funny to to see i mean i, I would love to sit there and tell you like oh i can remember how this record was received 
Um, but really, this was kind of a very, this is sort of the beginning of, of a really, I don't want to say isolating experience for myself, but this is kind of where I really, my senior year, I started becoming more of who I feel like I am now as an adult in the sense that I came to the conclusion that, you know, going into June, like the summer between uh, senior year, junior and senior year, I remember just kind of having this conclusion when people are sending off uh, college applications and, you know, this person was like, got a scholarship to go here or run track there, or this person got to, is going to like, you know, wherever the fuck. And people started having, like, were thinking about their lives moving forward. And that I wasn't going to see these people. Not that they were like friends. Like, I never was disillusioned to be like, oh, we're like, my, me and my whole school are friends. Like, my whole classes are, we're friends. I have so many friends. I realized it was really kind of down to like four people, two of which I still, I would say, are literally my like best friends that I still talk to to this day. And it's this thing where you kind of reach this freedom of understanding that you don't have to give a fuck about these people. The people that like some people think like high school is like was like it it was everything and i realized that there was a world that existed beyond this that we were going to be going into and that like if i hated this then when i go out there i can kind of change it and be who i want or i can change things about me because no one knows who the fuck i am but adversely that's when everyone starts getting super sentimental and wanting to start building these new lifelong relationships and i was one of the first people that was just like oh, fuck you you had like the last 10 years to get to know me i don't i don't want to invest any time in you now when you didn't want to invest any time in me for the last little while right and that's fine and it's fine that's a hundred percent okay we can go on live our own separate lives and it's fine and you know i was kind of deemed an asshole by a lot of people because i just i didn't want to do things i didn't want to go to parties that didn't matter i didn't want to hang out with people randomly because now they had a new interest in me even though they didn't and this was kind of you know i had sent a message to you earlier like listening to some of these songs like woodwork especially even though it's the last track it just reminds me of walking the halls and kind of just being like god i can't wait to get the fuck out of here and not look at any of you or see any of you ever again You know, like, you know, I was kind of saying that it has taken a while for me to kind of really remember or kind of sink into the lyrics. One of the few lyrics that always stuck out to me when I would listen to this record kind of walking around in school, like between classes, is actually from Woodwork. And it's the and I kind of looked at it completely differently, kind of talking more the way I took the lyric to be was more from like looking at social circles and, you know, how we had clicks and stuff like that. And it was the line where, you know, he talks about. These vultures were in love, always circling, circling high above, picked each other apart, hungry for the other's heart. Real fun. Let's all underachieve. And that was like the, the, the real fun. Let's all underachieve. There were so many people in my my grade in school that I felt like I knew were going fucking nowhere. Like they were never going to leave our city. They are never going to like our little podunk fucking town. They were never going to do anything beyond this. This was as good as it was going to get. And I knew I didn't want that. And like, I just remember looking at them, listening to that, you know, real fun. Let's all, let's all underachieve that. I was like, it's almost like this mantra. I started uttering to myself where I'm like, not me. 
I'm going to do something. I'm at least, even if I'm mediocre somewhere else, at least it's not here. At least I made it beyond this. And I know that that's maybe like a very short-sighted goal when you live in a small city in a small town and you feel different from everybody because of the music you listen to or how you choose to dress or whatever. But it definitely, when I looked and thought back to this record, listening to it in anticipation of this, this conversation, that was something that I thought was interesting to kind of look back on and just remember this feeling of like, I, I got to get out of here. I got to be better than this. I can't, I don't want to be these underachievers that seem thrilled to death that this is going to be the best that it's ever going to be. It's so hard because like my high school experience is um, similar, but different. Um, I it's, it's funny hearing you talk about, cause like I definitely, I started high school bad where I like sort of first, I didn't know anybody. And then I got to know people. And then I never really started like, I guess I ended high school on a high note from, from where I had started out. And so I sort of get it though, in that, like, I've just had a bout of bad friends, <laughs> you know, especially like in the, in the past two or three years is whenever I've started kind of auditing my friendships, <laughs> you know, a little bit. And that this song would work, especially I have a, an attachment to more or less for the same lyrics, you know, the way the song ends with uh, crawling out of rotted woodwork, it stings to breathe when I don't even know what to do with myself. Real fun. Let's all underachieve. Uh, that song had a very strong meaning to me for like bands that I was in, because when I was trying to when I when I made the transition from just being a music fan to wanting to make music of my own. I had a very specific vision for like what I wanted to do musically. I just didn't have the talent to achieve it. <laughs> you know, um, I could do the screaming vocals. That was about my only, that was my only real contribution, <laughs> you know, to the, to the songwriting and, and stuff like that. And so it's funny with that song because the whole, like, let's all underachieve it had for me it had a lot more to do with like i had dudes that i was in bands with and like maybe only like one or two of us would be on the same page a lot of the time it was me and buddy uh as far as like what kind of music we wanted to play and we always kind of had naysayers i don't know if you ever had that in a band john that you've been in where like everybody has a really different idea about what kind of music they want to make and so, like, I wanted to make hardcore or, you know, make metalcore or whatever. But then, like, you know, your bass player doesn't really like that kind of music. And he wants he wants you to sing more. He wants you to be, you know, to play rock music. I want to put out Until Your Heart Stops. And he wants to put out Antenna, you know. <laughs> and so uh, it's funny. I love Antenna. Like, I, I would have loved that. But it was never like that. It was more like let's try really hard to sound like Foo Fighters or like, let's try, you know, not that there's anything wrong with Foo Fighters, but it's just not the kind of music I wanted to play, nor was the kind of music I had the talent to play. And I talked about that a little bit on another episode about how like certain bands were just more obtainable. So like for me, when I would watch hardcore bands play, it was like, and I bet me and my friends could do this. Whereas if you see like some big, <laughs> you see some big, you know, you go see Foo Fighters in an arena and they're going to play all the hits and you're going to have a great time. But it, it's not something that I look at and think I could do this. Me and my friends could do it, but I would always get in bands with these guys that would like 
that's what they wanted to do. That was the that was the end goal. You know, was like I want to play big arenas and play big, you know, big sweeping choruses and 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 do all of this big stuff. And I was like, I just want to scream in a band and like get some dudes to like two step in a pit. You know, like I had very small dreams. But the, as far as the whole like let's all underachieve, what I would notice, um, I even had a very unique situation when I was in my first band, Jelly Donut, where uh, one of the members of the band actually they had basically formed a cover band that would play cover songs at different venues. And what they would do is like, we'd have jelly donut practice and then like I would leave and they would all like pretend like they were leaving. And then they would have practice either like that same night or they'd have like behind my back. And um, they were basically forming this like cover, but like not even original material, just like a cover band. And that was like what they were like really into, or at least the guy that was spearheading it was like really into I guess that that's what that song kind of always reminded me of. It's like, dude, the kind of music that I want to play is the kind of music that is the future It is the kind of music that people are going to really be into at some point. And the reason is, is because I started off listening to popular music, but I also started to like this heavier music. So, you know, if I liked it, if it was able to hook me, somebody that did not grow up in a scene, you know what I mean? That did not grow up in, in a specific area where that kind of music was popular. The fact that it grabbed me means that it it definitely had the potential to grab other people and get much bigger than it, than it did. But I always just had all these dudes around me that were like, no, we're just going to do the bare minimum or whatever to make you happy. And then we're going to move, you know, and we're, we're going to go over and do this other thing that we, that we think is actually going to work. It's funny because I don't, I think this is the first time I've ever talked about this. Uh, on a podcast it was a really frustrating experience overall i listened to a lot of antenna during that period of my life the uh the jelly donut days what's funny is uh even the first song also kind of reminds me of that where he just kind of opens up with pop culture with a pen watch it wheeze in the air like a dying balloon like that always laid it out for me because it's like what's popular now isn't gonna be the big thing by the time we get around to it <laughs> you know what i mean so there's the, it it was kind of inspirational in the sense of like if you're not innovating then you're already behind you know you're you're already behind the curve and it's it's like actually kind of a really positive thing but what I think is interesting is having those types of feelings with this record as the backdrop to it. Because in a certain sense, you could make an argument that's like, yeah, but like this record doesn't sound like until your heart stops. You know, it doesn't really even sound like Jupiter, you know, um, or, you know, <laughs> beyond hypothermia. That's a ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, that was cool. That was like a whole bunch of their demos and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um really really cool anyway but what i think is interesting about it is that like there's sort of an inverse in this band's career in the sense that like they were pushing forward and in it being innovative but like they had already kind of gotten over hardcore before anybody else really had 
you know, because at that time, all these all these hardcore bands are like sort of honing their craft, right? You know, um, look at like what 18 Vision sounded like back then, you know, <laughs> and, you know, even bands like Converge, you know, I just talked about. There is a lot of them innovating that genre. So it's interesting seeing Cave-In push forward through kind of a throwback. You know, a little bit of a throwback sound, and like I said earlier, it's it's a throwback, but it's a it's a fresh throwback because it's the last thing that you're real. Well, if you haven't been paying attention to their EPs and, and even the entire album of Jupiter, I guess if you'd only heard until your heart stops, you know, it might come as kind of a shock that you didn't see coming. Um, but what I like about this record is that I typically before I even knew that this band had hardcore records would frequently listen to this record in an effort to chill out mm-hmm. and in an effort to kind of, kind of get a good vibe going, you know, uh, when normally I let, I tend to listen to stuff that's much more negatively focused. And this record has one of my favorite contrasts in it, in that it's like very upbeat and bouncy at times and, and almost playful at times. But, the lyrics are actually like really serious and yeah. and and really heartfelt and they're not always like super negative it's just interesting hearing songs like uh inspire where it's got this like it seems like such a really really positive song like who inspires you who inspires you but like it's delivered kind of sarcastically listening to it now Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Inspired, like, I mean, God, there's so many for a for a band that you know played and I would say had riffs, you know, back on like their hardcore stuff, and still do. Like, the bounce has always kind of been there, and I think that's the one thing also that it, it has always kept me coming back to it is it just has cool ass riffs. Like, Inspire's got one, just that huge open. That fucking yeah yeah and it's like there's so many like cool parts like that like even on uh joy opposites just like that huge like oh like like just allowing like no pun intended allowing there to be space for things to build and happen versus being like we're just gonna pummel you to death and like the only reprieve you get is the song like the time it takes to get into the next song on the cd right but like I have always said, and I used to say it even on discography discussion, sometimes to me what makes bands, especially heavy bands, more exciting and more interesting is when they don't cram everything into, like, if you in three minutes you're just playing nonstop, it's like, okay, cool. But like when you kind of allow there to be some sort of a structure or to let things kind of build, it makes those things more dynamic. And it's in those dynamics where I think makes things more interesting, obviously. Yeah, there's a lot of contrasting texture to this record. And I also, sorry to cut you off because I am totally going to forget this. Okay. And it's something I definitely want to mention in this because we've kind of flirted around parts of this already a couple of times. So, you know, you were talking about 
how it sounds. We've talked about, you know, the fact that it sort of sounds like an alt, like 90s record. Yeah. And the dude who produced this, I, I don't remember his name, but I think I remember that he used to work with Pavement. And I know he did a lot of mixing around this time. And I know he mixed Deloused, mm -hmm. um, which is a record you obviously have already talked about uh, on yeah. the show. So to me, I feel like there's just kind of a few parallels between at least the guy producing this and things that we have been picking up on it when we first heard it and what we're still picking up and enjoying about it now, how it sounds like this era of music that wasn't really still popular or quote unquote relevant. And I think that's why is because it, it was made with somebody who was making records back then, but then also was making some of the most like sonically out there textures and layers in, in Delouse. Like when you really sit there with the good headphones and listen to that album, like there's and I think Dewey talked about it, and I would love to hear the one that doesn't have all those bells and whistles added to it. Right. Because it's that's, to me, like what makes that album so brilliant is just it is all the little nuance, and I feel like this record plays to that in spades. It plays to the, the fact that it feels like something you already know while still being new, but also is taking you somewhere you've never been. And there's a fine detail, I think, paid throughout this whole record to both of those dynamics, going back to dynamics. Yeah, I mean, it, there is, it's weird because I actually didn't ever really pay attention that Rick, uh, or Rich, uh, I don't know if it's Coasty or Costy. Um, Couldn't have even told you any of that. I just remember that as a fact from a long time ago gotcha. when I used to read uh, liner notes. I had no idea that uh, that Rich had done both records. I just know that, I, I only, I actually only knew Comatorium. I knew that he did that one, but I, I didn't hmm. realize that it was, that makes a lot of sense though. It's interesting too how like this how they kept a relationship with their previous label, which was Hydrahead, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I, I obviously Hydrahead doesn't need any kind of like <laughs> introduction. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh it, like like you you know what 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 kind of label that is. Uh but it's interesting that they sort of kept up that like the, like they they had they had a foot in the door, you know, for a major label you know, like RCA, right? And, but they still kept their other foot, like, you know, well, it's going to keep our other foot here, you know, with Hydrahead, just to make sure that in case we ever decide that we're like pissed again, we're, you know, we can, <laughs> we can go back and do that. Um, it's funny too, because I was talking about Foo Fighters earlier, but like, um, they actually played, um, they actually toured Europe supporting Foo Fighters and Muse. I could, uh, which is, I could see it too, but it's just, it's funny that I was just like, oh, like Foo Fighters. And, you know, when I saw bands like Cave In, I thought me and my friends could do that, but not like Foo Fighters. And then it's like, I literally look over to my left at the Wikipedia page and it's like, yeah, and, you know, toured Europe in support of Foo Fighters and, and Muse. And I was like, okay, so like maybe I was wrong back then. Maybe what? this was the direction that, I, that, that maybe my friends were all right. Well, I was going to say, like, it's funny. I mean, I obviously didn't know they toured with the Foo Fighters at all, but a song like Anchor. I mean, when you say that now, like I always kind of said, I was like, this sounds like a song Dave Grohl could have written for like the first or second, like color in the shape or first uh, Foo Fighters record. Yeah, I could see that. Like it's, it's, it's very era specific Foo Fighters, but it sounds like it could have been a Foo Fighters song. I think that the only thing, like if, if you'll allow me to be critical for just a moment, um, if I'll allow myself to be critical for just a moment, I think this record's, biggest weakness is also its biggest strength 
in the sense that I love a very textured record. Like when you listen to Stain Silver, you more or less get that same experience throughout. Not in the sense that every song sounds the same, you know, or that they use the same tone, you know, or anything like that. Like it's not a record that is necessarily loaded with a lot of hits. It's just a record that is there, like we said probably a bunch of times already, is here to create a vibe. And it creates that vibe really well. It gets in there. It gets in the pocket. If you like Stained Silver, you're going to like the rest of the record. The band has catchy choruses. They have really, really, really tight songwriting. Also, Considering how atmospheric the music is, the actual songwriting and and playing is much tighter than it has any business being a band like this you know it it really if you want to see what i mean by that go back and listen to jupiter you know uh which is going to be you know is a little bit more spacey it's a little more out there definitely all intentionally so and and really really good but it's almost like a band like cave-in is almost too good to play just radio hits you know what i mean like not to bring Foo Fighters into it again, but like Foo Fighters is a band that can play some some radio hits. You know what I mean? And 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 play them well and it works really well for them. But a band like Cave-In on the other hand is more prone to wandering off a little bit. <laughs> you know, in in their soundscape. And um I think that's what makes this record truly unique in comparison to a lot of the other Cave-In records is that they never wander off on this record. They stay focused. They stay tight. And they still release a 12-track record that's 56 minutes long. If I was going into it as a first-time fan with like everything that I know about this kind of music now, I would expect this record to sound different than it did. I think that is also why so many Cave-In fans didn't like it. You know, I'm going to say a name, and this just feels like we're, we're saying and correlating this band and this album to so many other things. But it's it's kind of interesting, and this is why I love doing podcasts, and I love talking to two people about, you know, not only music, but just things in general, because sometimes it'll get your mind thinking about something you know from a completely different perspective or just a, a new way, and it's exciting. But as you were kind of explaining that, Kaven like how this record sounds and, it, and that it surprises you because it shouldn't in theory and that they're like too good to be this good like to be for the hardcore world basically yeah and the first thing that just magically came to my mind and I, and I haven't had this thought until now but it's almost akin to seeing what Devin Townsend does in, in metal Devin Townsend is objectively like a really smart fucking guy yeah and insanely gifted as a musician as a producer and like all these things to do with music but the fact that he chooses to to play in metal and he plays around in other genres but the fact that metal is kind of where he resides it almost feels like his talents are wasted like in that scene but it's almost like one of those things where when you hear what he does it almost lends credibility to a scene that otherwise maybe wouldn't have it 
Like you can yeah. point, you can point to a Devon Townsend, you can point to a Caven, and go, "Yeah, you may think hardcore is this, or you may think metal is this, and it 100 percent is, and it can be, but it can also be this. It can be looked at with a little bit of finesse and and smarts, and you can use a band like Caven, use a record like Antenna, and really kind of show that it. We as the people who enjoy it and make it can be more than just this one-dimensional thing. Yeah, and I think that you know it's it's hard to make the argument. Well, it's not really an argument, but it's hard to make the statement that I made without it sounding like I'm somehow being like, "Oh, Caven's better than this." And I think that that's what a lot of people thought. You know, a lot of the hardcore fans thought is like, "Well, they're better than this." And, but I also think that on the flip side, it also devalues what this is, you know, um, because what they, what they did on this record was really incredible in the sense that Caven proves on antenna that they are, yeah, obviously we know they're capable of playing heavier music, but they chose to use restraint in places. Um, they, they chose to do what worked better for a song than what necessarily may have worked better for them, quote unquote, artistically, right? Because I know I know a lot of guitar players, and um, you know I'm talking to one right now, and I know that guitar players like to wander off. <laughs> Sometimes they like to see where a riff's going to take, and so like as as easy as it as it is to say, like yeah, you know they're too good for this this is actually more of a testament to the fact that they are good enough to know when to do this and, and when not to do this. And I, I, I know it sounds basic and it sounds like I just contradicted what I said earlier, but I think, I think both are true. I think the band absolutely can do more musically amazing things than this, but I think this is what they needed to do. And it's really cool to know that they know how, that it's really cool to know that a band like Cave In that is also is really good at beating your face into a pulp is also really great at writing a hit rock record. You know, like it's it's more impressive. And I, it's I got onto this train of thought earlier this week because um, I'm I'm currently and I probably have already put it out by the time this episode comes out, but I'm doing a review of the new Project Eighty Six album. And um, I have talked to several people about it and everybody's like, oh, you're going to go in there and just absolutely tear it apart and, you know, make fun of it and this and this and this and this. And I was like, actually, no, Um, because that's more of the guy that I used to be and not so much the guy that I am now. And they're like, well, you know, it seems a little bit disingenuous if you're just going to write a puff piece, (laughs) you know, about this record. But then I, I really got to thinking about it and I was like, I feel like it's more masterful or like takes more guts to write a puff piece and make it interesting than it is to just trash something kind of like that. But, you know, and it's it's not like insincere because like I like the record. If I didn't like the record, I would say that I didn't like it or I would choose not to cover it, you know. Um, But in in my mind, it's one of those things. It's like if I if I can find something positive to say despite my personal feelings or circumstances maybe about an artist or about that sort of thing i think that it is it has the potential to be more impressive that you can do that than to just go in and 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 just 
tear it to pieces and say, oh, I don't like this. And the dude in the band's a big meanie head. And you know what I mean? Like, like that sort of thing. And for anybody that's paying attention, like I, so this episode will come out after that review has posted, but I'm actually not done working on that review <laughs> at the moment that I'm saying this. So who knows? The finished product could look way different than, than what I'm <laughs> describing right now. But it did, it did sort of remind me of this record in the sense that, yeah, Antenna absolutely could have just wrote a, you know, a heavier version of Jupiter. Or there's, there's another side of this equation that I think nobody really talks about, that they could have gone like full-on almost instrumental prog rock on this record, which would actually, like as a follow-up to Jupiter, would almost make more sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, they definitely go into that territory a little bit later on in their career. But it's interesting that this is the thing that was so polarizing when, in a lot of ways, it's the most unexpected it's like the coolest innovative thing that they could have done and it's actually really unfortunate that the fans just kind of weren't ready for it like going back to where i think you know i said at the top that when i bought this record i didn't even know there were any other cave-in albums and even at the very very top i wonder what discuss metal dan would have thought about x or not you know one of the things on discography discussion that seemed to be a central theme is like i would always get mad when a band changed too much you know, where, where they went into a, a direction that I completely wasn't expecting and I would get mad. And so it, it's funny that I feel like if I had started as a fan of their earlier work or even some of their later records, because they do, you know, eventually go into like heavier music again. If I had been a fan of the earlier work, maybe I would have hated this too. Just like, just like a lot of their fans did. It's impossible to know, but I think it speaks to the quality of the record that I had a unique opportunity of hearing this first and being able to judge it with no expectations at all. It's interesting that you and I sort of, and we've, we've kind of, said it the same thing a few different times in different ways but i feel like what's interesting for this record for both of us is that we kind of found it and it's a transitionary record for a band but it also kind of has been a transition like finds us when we're in transitionary periods in our life you know like you thinking about listening to this record this week listening to it knowing that you were going to do a project 86 uh, review thinking about the events that kind of led you to, you know, how people know you for the Project 86 stuff from a couple years ago to who you are now and being able to look back and realize that you're, you still can be that person and there are still the things that made that person say those things are probably still there, but you're on the other side of it having changed and gone through things and you're able to look back and, and kind of find an understanding, I guess, of who you really are, like maybe not at that point, being able to articulate articulate yourself the way you want to, you know, you had said earlier about how I wanted to play, you know, I saw like hardcore metal bands playing and it seemed easy so I could do it, but I could never write something like this. And I think that's a thing that we all kind of do. We want to see ourselves in, in the, the art and so forth that we take in, but sometimes, and I've never really thought about it, like maybe we get into hardcore and metal because of its accessibility to us as outsiders from the norm. 
that it seems like something I could do. I could do this. I couldn't be Britney Spears. I can't sing well. I couldn't be do this because I can't dance. Like there's all these things and, and you can apply that same filter as you were sort of saying, like talking about interviews and things like that, that it's like, well, I don't know if I could do that job. So maybe I'm not as confident when I go and interview for it. Like just the way that there's who you want to be, but maybe seeing something in the art that we take in kind of, I don't want to say makes us less ambitious, but maybe, I don't know. I, I haven't really been able to finalize that thought, but it was, it was something I was kind of like working on as you were talking where I was like, it's really interesting. Like the, the common thread is kind of that in the art we take and the art we want to make and the art that we see, like how it kind of informs us and maybe the decisions we make in other aspects of our life. And I never really thought of that. Like, you know, even going back to your episode with the Tony Danza episode where you're like, I was working this job. I wasn't really into it. So I'd listen to the most aggressive, ignorant shit I could listen to, to at least get yeah. me through this thing I didn't want to do. And it's not like, I don't think Britney Spears could have got you hyped up, not saying or taking anything away from her, but it's, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing that you feel like you can identify with more because it's something maybe you feel like you could do. So they, it's just this extra level of con connection to, to the music that I don't think we think about a lot when we, associate these memories to certain records or songs in that time of our life. Yeah. I think the transitionary period is, is really the crux of it because, you know, I found myself listening to this record, not only in preparation for this episode and um, I won't pull a converge episode on you and tell you guys exactly how many different formats I listened to this record on. Um, but I did, <laughs> I, the I did disc over here. Yeah. Well, Hey, just so you guys, <laughs> just so you guys are aware the uh last time that i listened to antenna by Kaven, uh i listened to it on my uh soul republic soundtrack pro wireless noise canceling closed back headphones so uh you know i just got those in the mail today they were 41 dollars, and uh they sound better than uh than, than the monolith headphones that i described in the converge episode so now I feel like I need to go listen to Jane Doe with the new headphones on, you know, and <laughs> I might have to, I might have to do a follow-up episode of, you know, explaining how, how different that experience was. But no, I think that the transitionary period is kind of like, you know, if we're going to talk about space and gravity, this record was sort of pulling me towards it because I was kind of move I, I was kind of already orbiting in that in that area you know i finally got so close to it the idea of like i could just do this thing that nobody's expecting me to do but i'm worried that people are going to think i'm being disingenuous by doing it you know and, and and sort of dealing with that but then i was like i do feel like to a certain degree it would have been disingenuous to for the old me to do it but not so disingenuous for the new me to do it because the entire point of all of this is to judge things by the, by how they make me feel and, and what they remind me of, you know, um, it's the ultimate old man podcast. I just sit there and talk about what I see in front of me. Right. But if a record inspires me, that should be good enough reason for me to love it. You know, you know, who inspires you, right? You, I don't know. I always thought, sorry, I, I always thought that was kind of an interesting part about that lyric. And I was almost thinking that's where you're going to go with it earlier, too, where it's who inspires you. And then he repeats the you. So it's almost like, is that the call and response? Who inspires you? You. 
you. I definitely do not consider myself to be inspiring. It's the idea of like who inspires you, what inspires you. And this record has always kind of been a part of anytime I've had to go through, you know, a big change. This is a record that has always consistently been there for me and always gives, like I said, the word of the episode for me is fresh. It, it gives me kind of a fresh take because I feel like when I listen to heavier records, I kind of get caught up in the emotion of what I'm feeling and then just sort of go down that rabbit hole. Right. Or I could listen to something completely unrelated that is going to make me just not deal with the problem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and ignore my way through it. This record sort of balances that, that happy medium of like, a, no, let's be, let's be fresh. Let's look at, let's look at the same issues, the same problems from a, from a fresh perspective. So yeah, that's, that's what this record means to me. Fresh. The the choice of words for fresh that that's what this record kind of remind you of. It was interesting. The the song really that kind of you know I had said a few songs that popped up in like a made for you playlist that you know comes out on uh, Apple for me every week and then I think even Spotify was where the other one came from when it just made me a daily mix. <clears throat> it's probably because I was listening to a bunch of counterparts and like more softer music around that time mm -hmm. and. It was kind of when listening back to this record, for whatever reason, I usually just kind of like Seafrost would come and then I usually just for whatever reason go to Breath of Water. Like I kind of skip Rubber and Glue and Youth Overrided. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know why. I just that's kind of what I did. I, and randomly one day, I, I guess I didn't skip or I was doing something and Youth Overrided came on. And I was like, oh, this sounds really familiar. And I thought maybe it had changed to another band or something somehow. And it was interesting because at the time when kind of getting back into this record, uh, every time I die and Caven did that, uh, that split series, the seven inch where they each covered each other's songs for two minutes. Oh yeah. Night. yeah. And I had forgotten, like I knew that Etid had done youth overrided, but when I heard this, you know, the actual version of it, I was like, oh, this sounds really familiar. And I don't know why, like, I feel like I've heard it recently and I just couldn't place it. And then it kind of hit me that I was like, oh, I had been watching the, the cover series and I pre-ordered like the seven inch and been listening to it. And I just, for whatever reason, it had not been something I had overdone. Like I usually do when there's a song I really enjoy, I'll just listen to it on a loop for like sometimes a day or two. Until it makes you puke. Yeah. No. And I still can do that with songs where I just don't get tired of hearing them. And this was one where lyrically, like for the first time, I just really identify with the lyrics of Youth Overrided. And I think it's really what kind of got me back into listening to the full record, not kind of getting to, you know, Anchor, Beautiful Sun, Seafrost, somewhere around there and just kind of skipping to the end. And, you know, when you had asked me initially, there was another band that you asked me if I wanted to do. And I said, no, I've actually been listening to this record a ton and this is really what got me back into it at that time was this song. And I had told you it was interesting that when I listened to this record when I was uh, back in high school, again, this is one of the songs that I remember actually knowing the lyrics to at the time. And it just feeling like you're looking at, again, the transition of a life. But like from the lyrics I read now as an almost 40 year old, I read it and I'm like, fuck, I feel a lot of this. I feel like. You know, I don't want to grow old and I don't want it to all be kind of for nothing. And 
you know, people giving you these like false hopes of like, you know, like the line of uh, talking about the rings under his eyes, basically being blessings in disguise. And it's like when I was a kid, I, I kind of remember it kind of being this thing where I was like, oh, I guess like when you get older that you should be thankful that you're alive, you know, that you made it this far. And those are like signs of making it, I guess, that you, you endured. But then as I get older, I'm like, but I don't want just that. I want something more than that. I don't want people to, I guess, to say what I feel are hollow, useless, cliche things that don't mean anything. Telling me, I like, oh, you're old, you've earned it. That's like everyone, like, all I did is exist, I didn't earn shit, right? Like, I'm just here, like, it, there should be more to life than just existing, yeah. And I know that's really like, again, it's just really weird to think about how looking at a song when you're 18 and then the world's still in front of you, there's all this like optimism and hope and excitement and fear. But then as you get older, you're just like, I don't want to keep going through life like that. I don't. I mean, I want it to be more optimism and, and happiness. I don't want to live in fear. But you know that, like, you have less days in front of you than you used to. And so how does that not... How do you not look at a song like this? How do you not look at a record like this with 20-some-odd years of listening to it and not... Again, it kind of goes back to what I said in, in the very beginning... It's interesting that where we were in our lives, the guys writing this were about 10 years later than us. And now right. we're talking up, we're talking about it 10 years later after that, or, you know, whatever, like it just exists in this transitionary period. And it's listening to this song. And like I said, this song specifically in youth override, it is one that kept bringing me back to this record and making me go back to when I heard it in 2002 in my senior year it has those memories so etched in me because it has just so much happened that year like i said i mean 9 11 is a pretty big fucking thing your senior year is a pretty big thing mm -hmm. that this record will always be stamped on me because in that time specifically because of those events and just i'll never not listen to this record and not feel I still feel good when I listen to it, but there's there's just a little sense of like bubbling under the surface of just like I'm a little bit angry though. Yeah, yeah. the exterior might be be happy and positive, but still have a lot to be pissed off about. I don't know if any of that made sense. It's it's like I said, there's more. I wanted to speak on Youth Overrided as a whole, um, just because of how much I really have. That was the the crux of why this this episode uh, was the one I chose. Well, I think it was a good choice and it lined up really well versus last time where I was like, yeah, this record was pretty cool. The first two times I listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> Have you gone back and has it been in your constant rotation at all? Yeah. Or the band so, at all? Yeah, no, it has actually. I, cause I actually really started feeling, falling in love with it when I was doing the edit, when I was like deciding which songs I wanted to, to include. And, um, so yeah, I, I got, I got more into it and then I actually made a, a playlist of all of the season one bands that we talked albums that we talked about 
Um, and I, so I still listen to that pretty regularly, actually. It's just, uh, it's nice that I don't have to think it's, that's part of the reason why I do this, right? So I can make the playlist of albums and then, uh, I don't have to think about what I want to listen to. Cause I know that I like everything that I, that I talked about, uh, in a season, but yeah, I need to do that for this. I need to do that for this season. Um, now that I think about it, I will definitely, if you haven't in, been inspired to listen to the band more since talking about crisis, you should check out the latest record otherness. It's, uh, it's so good that it's, I mean, for as much as I said that the crisis was the band firing on all cylinders and taking everything that they had learned mm-hmm. and like doing it to its perfection, I think otherness adds the element of incorporating what everyone has done on their own away from the band and making the band better than it ever could be. Because now you're getting some of that like city and color acoustic but also indie folkish kind of shit coming in the weird trippy shit that, uh, um wade's been doing with uh like his solo project and some of the other shit and george even like doing like clean vocals and just like i don't know if i'm into that john (laughs) (laughs) it was one of those that like i i kind of wasn't feeling one of the singles i heard and then i like listened to the whole record and i was like this again talk about vibes it's a fucking vibe and and it really is fun to listen to. It just feels like it feels like people coming together and becoming friends again in the best way, which is why I'm glad I saw botch. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, John, as always, thank you for talking about this record with me. Yeah. Sorry if I high talked all over. You didn't No, you did great. You did a lot better than I did. The resting always fails. Cause any, Thank you guys so much for listening to me and John's conversation about Caven's antenna and our conversation coincidentally about me and John. In case you guys didn't know, John hosts a podcast called the Brutally Speaking Podcast where he interviews musicians every single week. Not always musicians. He's had quite the variety of guests on the show, ranging from people that might just be considered celebrities to a lot of people within the music industry and even some people that are in other industries. John is a great conversationalist and it's always a pleasure to talk to him. And I used to actually co-host the Brutally Speaking podcast along with John until life got in the way and I found myself on three different podcasts. So I'm just going to stick to the one for now. But guys, just like I always say on these episodes, if you like the podcast, please make sure that you're subscribed to it and that you're following it on all of the various social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can always send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. If you guys really, really like the show and you want to support it financially, it does cost a little bit of money to produce the show. So uh, I do have a Patreon that you can check out. There'll be a link in the show notes that'll show you what is available on Patreon. And so I appreciate each and every one of you guys that has contributed to that. And just thank you guys for being listeners and for being supportive. I I really love that I don't just have to sit here and just talk to myself in my basement every night. Thank you guys so much. And if you guys want to hang out with me, the show has a Discord server. If you want to join the Dungeon Discord server, there's a link in the show notes that will take you right there. And I hope to see you there. But if I don't, that's totally okay because I will see you here again next week. (laughs) 